Hey everyone, I'm Andrew, and you're listening to Small Efforts, a collaboration between Crit and Miss Grants. And hi, I'm Sean. Small Efforts is a show where we talk about cybersecurity, design, and the continuous small efforts it takes to build a business. <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke. That's not. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> it's not true. I promise. It's not true. Um, for people who don't know, I, every time there's a on Riverside, there's a countdown. And right before it starts recording, I tell Andrew something just completely, completely <laughs> wild. <clears throat> you, you definitely got me with that yeah, one. Yeah. I, was <laughs> like, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Um, that was good. Yeah. How you doing, I'm Sean? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's been a it's been a short week. I mean, it's felt like forever, but we're all off for MLK. Same. So it's good to be back in the groove of things. But I don't know. Just been quiet all week. How about you? Yeah, things are going pretty well right now. Like the teams has a good grasp on the client projects that we have. We're chugging along. I'm making slow but steady progress with with some new prospects mm-hmm. and just yeah. Things are feeling like calm for once, which I am. I am very much trying to appreciate. Nice. Okay. That's. Uh, I think we have. I think we have different reactions to calm. Like my reaction to. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm addicted to stress. I think I'm addicted to stress. But <laughs> after last year, I'm very much appreciating it and trying to be confident that. It won't be calm forever. Nice. But also for us right now, calm doesn't mean like we don't have enough mm-hmm. work. If there's different levels of yeah, calm, yeah. right? There's calm and there's Quiet, like crickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Water's still moving. Our ship's still moving. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, cool. So I have an interesting game for us to play today. Okay. So you are in the hot seat. I figured we'd play just like a game of like overrated, underrated. And, you know, you're the product guy. So I have a list of product design things that we see in a lot of our clients and a lot of the industry's products, um, especially, you know, B2B enterprise security products. And I am curious what your take on them is. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to just be like, you know, enterprise security products. It can just be, you know, business productivity tools we use or even apps that we use. I would be I would be very interested if the takes change depending on the industry or market. Cool. Okay. I'll think about that. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Hit me. What's the first one? Um, what underrated or overrated? Microcopy. Vastly underrated. Okay. I think too many people just slap copy in an application without thinking about it at all. So for those who don't know, microcopy refers to the little bits of text that are scattered all throughout a product. So button copy, a little bit of explainer text in maybe an area where the interface isn't 100% clear, you know, helpful where you hover over and, you know, um, get a little, not a tooltip, but like, yeah, you know, yeah. help text. Um, all of these things make up microcopy. And so many companies just like leave microcopy up to the engineers mm-hmm. and that's not always a bad thing they're engineers who are really talented and thoughtful and, and write really great microcopy um, we've had especially some front-end engineers who have a lot of fun playing around with the microcopy but so 
Microcopy is first and foremost a chance to add clarity to your design. Any product that relies on icons without microcopy going alongside them is making their product more difficult mm -hmm. for users to understand. Sometimes you're working with a really small amount of real estate. And so you kind of have to either shorten your microcopy or sometimes even get rid of it entirely and go with, with just icons. But whenever possible, you should try to pair an icon with a label and try to make that label as helpful as possible. When you have charts or graphs, you know, thinking about the how you label the axes, when you have a sophisticated interface providing a little bit of help text, when you have a login form telling people in the login form mm -hmm. what the requirements are for the sign up form, telling people what the password requirements are. Even better, when you have a login form telling them what the requirements are so that they remember what they had to use for their password. Mm -hmm. Ideally, they're using a password manager and they're not remembering passwords mm -hmm. at all. But still, you know, giving them the requirements so that they can get things right on the first try. Microcopy in forms is huge. So that's one. It's, it's a fantastic way to add clarity to your application. It's also a chance to add brand and to add... Mm -hmm character and interest you know mailchimp was one of the first brands that i remember who really put thought into the little messages throughout their application and thought about how their brand would talk to users and people love them for it it's a chance to like take your product from just okay this is a thing that helps me get my job done to this is a thing i enjoy using i enjoy spending time in and so the more you can you know add personality now you don't want to go overboard here plenty of people like get too cutesy mm -hmm. and and that can just be annoying clarity first then a little bit of flavor interest mm -hmm. character second what percentage do you think of like like how do you know you're too, you've gone too cutesy with it <laughs> <laughs> if ideally if you put it in front of some users and they roll their eyes or groan, uh, no that's not always possible if it starts to impact the clarity, first mm -hmm. of all, if if it becomes less clear what you're trying to get across, then it's too cute. Mm -hmm. And I think the amount of cutesy varies depending on the brand. Mm -hmm. Some brands are going to be better with that, are going to be a little bit more on the mm -hmm. innovative, fun, quirky, witty side of things. And some brands are, you know, a little more cut and dry. And that ultimately depends on the users. It depends on the, the team and what the team's personality really is. Mm -hmm. So these are all things to consider. It's hard to, to give an answer. You know, I would go pretty hard on the clarity side, mm -hmm. though, like 80-20 yeah. clarity and whimsy okay. or clarity and character. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when we even work on like websites, it's just like, form copy and micro copy even just mm -hmm. like whether the button says contact us talk to sales contact sales learn more etc like making that decision is and and also just like other types of like small text around even just websites is just like another opportunity to show brand so mm -hmm. it's yeah no, no super interesting totally agree okay second one for you this has been well i'll, t I'll tell you why this is on my mind but what about accessibility like A11Y web standards. Mm -hmm. So tell me, tell me why it's on your mind. 
I got a ping uh, in Slack or in our like random Slack channel. One of my designers mm -hmm. found out that Figma's blue button is not uh, W. I think WAGC is that is that the am I going to get this acronym? I don't wrong? remember it. Oh, I, I, I can't ever get the act, keep the acronym straight to be perfectly honest. WCAG, WCAG. Um, it fails yes, WCAG yes, yes, standards. Yes. And that mm -hmm. was funny. That's all. That's, that was the only reason. Yeah. I think accessibility is also underrated. Mm -hmm. I had a more of an approach that I sort of regret now, which was accessibility is great, but like if no one's using our product, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There's some truth in that, but a front-end developer who worked for us her name was jess mitchell she's super talented she now works for a company called daily she explained it to me in a presentation she did to the team and the way she framed it was just accessibility is just good design mm -hmm. if something is more accessible it's actually better a better user experience for everybody maybe you make some take some slight visual hit mm -hmm. you know you can't be quite as trendy with your super low contrast pastel color palette or something like that. But any good visual designer worth their salt can create something that looks visually compelling while still being accessible, mm -hmm. while still having the appropriate levels of contrast. And the truth is that if something is accessible, it's going to be easier for almost all of us to use. Yeah. And so when you start to think about it that way, it's it, and it shouldn't be that much work, right? This should be something we train designers on. This should be something we train front-end engineers on so that it's just part of the workflow. Mm -hmm. And it's not a whole lot of extra work. It's just when we create a color palette, we create it with this in mind. Mm -hmm. When we create, it goes back, microcopy and accessibility go hand in hand, having good microcopy, having good alt text, things like this. Mm -hmm. I won't pretend to be perfect. You know, There's a lot of images on the crit site <laughs> that need more alt text. But yeah, I think I think accessibility is one of those things we all need to need to prioritize mm -hmm. more. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> what is to flip this? What is an overrated product design practice? Ooh, okay. So I'm gonna do one that's that's both overrated and underrated. Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> let me let me explain. Okay. All right. User onboarding. User onboarding as a whole is underrated. Creating good user onboarding is one of the best chances for you to activate a user to make their life a little bit better so that they stick around, so that they become a customer advocate for your product. Good onboarding can affect churn. It can affect customer loyalty. It can affect whether you grow that individual account because it's all about getting people to the job to be done faster, getting them to the their sort of success moment faster. That's what good onboarding should be about. So good onboarding, underrated. Clickable, like tooltip walkthroughs, highly, highly, highly overrated. I'm sick of them. I hate them. I skip them all. They are very, very, very rarely actually useful. I want to burn most of them. So the best product onboarding experiences are the experiences where people learn to use your product by using your products, mm -hmm. not by reading a little tooltip and having to click next, 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 next. I mean, come on, we've all used Slack a million times now. Why does Slackbot still give me like 10 like tips? Mm -hmm. 
of like the best ways to use Slack. But to flip that around, Slack's onboarding experience for a new user is actually pretty great because they have you use the product to learn the product. Mm-hmm. They, you know, have you send a message. They send a message to you. I'm trying to think of another company that's that's really good at this. So there are two people who do user onboarding teardowns mm-hmm. that are incredibly valuable. They're a great way to learn about user onboarding best practices and how to create a really fluid onboarding experience. One is just called user onboard. Uh, I'm blanking on on the guy's name off the top of my head. Stuart, no. Samuel Hulick, that's his name. Underrated. <laughs> user onboard taught me so much about onboarding and through that just good UX design. They publish teardowns of popular apps, onboarding experiences, and they, you know, will like it's a really in, you know engaging PowerPoint kind of form. There's a new design agency that that took this format and ran with it and has made it even more engaging um, called growth.design. That's at least that's their web address, growth.design. Yeah, that's I think that's their I think that's their company name as well. So they have just some incredible case studies that are really fun and engaging. They they write custom code for them. They you know have developed this idea of kind of like a you know psych meter Mm. and you know basically the more steps in your onboarding process the lower a customer's psych gets and if they get confused if the onboarding experience doesn't align with their expectations with their goals you're just reducing that psych and if the psych gets too low you're gonna lose them so growth.design user onboard two fantastic resources for learning how to do onboarding really well None of them will recommend click through tooltips. So click through tooltips and onboarding, highly overrated. Nice. Okay. What about product analytics? Uh <laughs> like, you know, Hotjar, Log Rocket. Yeah. Um, I might piss some people Uh-oh. off with this one. Uh there's only there's only 15 of them <laughs> <laughs> listening, so I think product analytics are largely overrated, especially for early stage companies and can actually be distracting and damaging. If you think about it, like early stage companies, you're looking at especially an enterprise product. You might only have best case scenario. Seed stage company might have 50 customers, right? Maybe that those customers average three users per customer. Mm-hmm. So maybe you've got 150 users. That's not enough to have like, just, and uh, I'm, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone here, so mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But like, you need hundreds or thousands of users to have statistical significance, I believe. And so mm-hmm. you can start to see trends that aren't really trends and that can be distracting. I think early stage startups in particular. So pre-seed, seed stage startups should basically not bother with product analytics and should spend the vast majority of their time talking to customers, user interviews, figure out how to incorporate those, customer support, you know, invest in like good customer support people, have your team participate in customer support if it makes sense for your team and your scenario. But you know, find ways to talk to the customer and gather qualitative insights as much as possible. I think that's probably true of a lot of Series A startups too. A lot of Series A companies still probably only have 50 enterprise customers or something like that. Until you start getting to like a size where you can't 
get a good sense of your customers and it's really hard, product analytics aren't where you should spend most of your time. Now, once you start, there are some seed stage companies who have a larger user base. Maybe they've got a freemium tier, they've got a bunch of free users. In that case, sure. And probably once you get to that Series A stage, you should start to set up some product analytics so that you can, you know, just tell, answer basic questions like, is anyone using this feature at all? Because you might end up wasting a bunch of time. But most of the time, user interviews and customer support requests are going to tell you a lot of that as well. You know, if there's a feature that no one's using, you're not going to hear about it in user interviews. Now, it might be clearer to see that and to make a case to higher ups at the company if you have some analytics and some data. But for early stage companies, at least, I think product analytics are largely overrated. What about like in like LogRocket or Hotjar where they record the user literally using the product? Is that not useful at an early stage? Yeah, super useful. It is nice to be able to watch someone use your product. Mm. But I've always had mixed feelings about LogRocket because it also just feels kind of creepy. <laughs> it feels a little like invasive. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's just my personal hangups. And we've had clients who've used it and have gotten a lot of value out of it, especially in the security space. I think a lot of our customers are going to be very privacy focused and mm -hmm. so won't be thrilled to find out that you're using something like LogRocket. Mm -hmm. Now, LogRocket is fairly sophisticated. You can set it up to anonymize Mm -hmm. data and stuff like that and you know blur out anything sensitive from the videos that they record and i will say you know that is more useful at that early stage mm -hmm. than like numbers right because then you're actually watching someone and so you can see where in your product someone gets stuck you can see that's kind of most mm -hmm. of it it's like you can sort of see where they get stuck um what they're doing with the product and you can learn some pretty interesting things yeah. But user interviews will will teach you the same thing. Obviously, you can do them. You know, LogRocket is more scalable, and user testing you have the chance to actually ask questions and ask why. Mm -hmm. So you can achieve those same things while also building deeper customer trust and customer relationships. It is more of an investment. It is a little bit less scalable. So uh, you know, a tool like LogRocket, I would say, depends a little bit more on the. Mm -hmm specifics of the company and the customer base and how comfortable your team and how comfortable your customers are going to be with what it essentially amounts to surveillance. So qualitative user testing, underrated. Underrated. Quantitative, you know, stats on who clicks what thing and where heat maps are and whatever, overrated. Yeah. Oh, got it. Now that's, again, most of our clients are earlier stage, seed, series A. Mm -hmm. At that stage, I feel pretty strongly about yep. that. Once you start getting into larger, more scalable organizations where you do have thousands, hundreds of thousands of customers, and you can start to see statistical significance and you know company politics becomes a bigger part of the equation, mm -hmm. and you have to you know have a really convincing argument for abandoning a feature that mm -hmm. the company has invested $100,000 in or something, at that point, product analytics probably becomes important. And it's good to have it set up, you know, relatively early, mm -hmm. right? Like it's good to have it set up. And so that's why I would say once you hit that kind of series A stage, you know, that 50 to 100 customers stage somewhere in there, you know, probably want to go ahead and start setting it up. But the danger with setting it up too early is that you are going to want to pay attention mm -hmm. to it. And it, I think it can be more of a distraction than a help. 
uh, at the earliest stages. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So you brought up customer support. What about uh, the little customer support robot at the bottom right of my screen <laughs> that goes, ding, want some help? Again, this is in part my, uh, you know, maybe more personal opinion here than like something I have research to back Uh-oh. up. But I would say overrated. Especially I've been noticing more and more these days getting that customer support widget and then seeing like our team responds within four to five hours. And I'm like, what the fuck is this here for? Why why did I just waste my time filling out this message only to find out you're not going to answer me for ages? Again, stage matters. You know, some of those tools can be helpful for managing a larger scale customer support team. And certainly you're going to want to have a customer support tool as soon as your customer support team starts to grow early on you're going to want to talk to your customers directly as often as possible and an email address is a perfectly fine way to do it i have seen so many companies grow with you know just an email address for support for for quite a while a twitter account you're going to want to be proactive you're going to want to you know be proactive on twitter proactive to respond to those emails but you don't need to set up everything from day one you can you can wait a little while what is helpful about those widgets is that people know to look for them now. And, you know, it gives people a clear sense of like, this is where I go to get support. I do think support needs to be easy to find and easy to get. So if you're not going to do a widget, you need to take the time to either make that other channel really obvious and really easy to find. Mm. Uh, if you bury customer support, you're going to piss people off. Mm. So I personally think the widgets are overrated. If we get to a point or if I start to see some numbers that people are looking for the widget before they're looking for a support tab or a support email or something, and like people want to see the widget, that could change my mm. mind, even though I still think the widget is probably not super useful. And it sets the expectation of immediate an immediate response, right. which can be bad. Okay, so here's a question. How would you make the widget better? Or could you make the widget better? So again, I think the problem with the widget is that expectation. People want it to become a live chat. If you can man and support live chat 24-7, sure, keep the widget. If you are already using Intercom, if you are big enough that product analytics are helpful and so you're already using Intercom for that and it's easier to have it all there, or if your customers are just sort of looking for a widget, Mm -hmm. Then, then cool. I think I probably like some of the little tabs that have more of a form to fill out better than than the you know the live chat dialogue. If again, if you're not going to do live chat, because it's all about expectation setting and making sure that those expectations line up with with what your customer is mm-hmm. getting. Makes sense. So, an alternative that that companies will, especially security companies we work with, that they'll use instead of customer support widgets is just documentation Hmm. overrated underrated what are we thinking obviously like documentation as a whole is underrated it's more scalable than any amount of customer support Mm -hmm. but the problem is most people really suck at it like i have worked with so many customers and not to be harsh but like they have a documentation page on their website or something and it's out of date there's nothing there And it's like, at that point, it's just hurting you. Like at that point, it just looks like you're not a real company or you're not keeping up with things, you know, and people 
are just going to be more frustrated when they reach out to support. It also depends on, again, on everything depends on who your users are. If you're in a self-serve environment where people are coming to you, they're not talking to a salesperson, they're setting up their own account, which we're starting to see more and more security companies go this direction, but it's still the vast minority mm. of, of security companies. Then documentation, like a lot of that type of user might want to avoid talking to a person, mm. right? And so documentation is a great way to let them help themselves yep. and give them the experience that they want. We signed up for JustWorks over Trinet, two different PEOs, because JustWorks was the one where I didn't have to talk to a salesperson. And I didn't want to talk to a salesperson about my HR software. I just wanted to like know what it cost, and I wanted to know who had like a clean user interface and who could do the things that I needed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, documentation great for the self-serve customers and really great all around if you can keep it up. Mm -hmm. If you can't keep it up, then if you can't keep it up to date, if you're not going to invest in it, if you're not going to invest time in it, it's going to hurt you because it's just going to piss people off when they can't find what they need or they find something and it's wrong so basically if there's anyone out there that wants to create like an animals but for tech documentation oh my god i think that's such a yeah. huge opportunity hit us up hit us up come on the show <laughs> i would like to meet you because you we just got to convince convince clients to pay for right, it right because Everyone thinks they can do it themselves right. until they try. Um, I think a lot like microcopy, it's one of those like very underrated places where you can put in brand, right? You can be mm -hmm. extra thoughtful about these things and it does go that extra step. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Thanks. 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 Okay. So another thing that companies release in written form, sometimes, occasionally, are release notes. Underrated, overrated. Because um, I've never read release notes except for the game <laughs> League of Legends, in which case I care about it every single time. As a kid, not a degenerate anymore, but oh, that's going to get. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. What about release notes? Yeah. So like you, I never read release mm -hmm. notes um, and it kind of drives me crazy when products put their release notes in like the most valuable real estate. Mm -hmm. I think release notes are useful. They show people that you are continually updating your product, that you're putting time and energy in, into it. They you know, explain to people why they are paying you a subscription as opposed to just paying you a one-time fee. Mm -hmm. Although most of the time now, we just assume that that's what's happening anyway. So they're, they're useful for that reason. You know, Someone is like asking for something and then they get to see it pop up a couple weeks later. Um, that's really awesome. I don't think they should be like front and center mm -hmm. in a dashboard, right? A dashboard should be there to give people, you know, quick access to the information they need and like jumping off points to get deeper into your application to the tools that are going to be helpful for them doing their job. I personally think the best place for release notes is email and you let, you know, customers tailor how much they want to get. Some customers, there are tools that I'm really excited about and I really like and I want to, you know, kind of know what's coming or tools where I... You know, a perfect example, there's a tool called Parallax that I've talked about on the mm -hmm. podcast before. We use it to run our agency and there are things that I desperately want them to add or change. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want the release notes for that product because I want to know when that comes out. And so there are people who want the release notes, but they don't put their release notes in the product. They, you know, send it out via email 
they you know have their customer support team if they know that i'm like really anxiously awaiting something they'll make a note of it and reach out and tell me we have regular customer support check-ins with them once a quarter which is more than most companies do and they're they're a very hands-on you know sort of uh SaaS company mm-hmm. um and so you know they'll sort of update me about stuff then so i think there are better places for it than like front and center in a dashboard and you know in my opinion the best and sort of easiest place for everybody is email. Um, there's so many great email tools that you don't have to build additional interface to let people customize, you know, what emails they want. You, for the most part, most sophisticated email tools will, mm-hmm. you know, give you that interface pre-baked. I'm all for, you know, the more stuff we can do without code, the better. So yeah, release notes in dashboard overrated. Release notes overall a little bit underrated. And again yet another chance to to insert a little bit of brand and have a little bit of fun. Yep, yep. You know, I think of written release notes, overrated video release notes. Wow. Ooh. Loom videos. Hey, we released a thing. Could be interesting. Could be interesting. I disagree a little bit okay. there. And this is where I think, again, your user matters and giving people yeah, options absolutely. is helpful. Absolutely. I don't want to watch a video about I don't want to sit there for five minutes to find the piece of information I was looking for three minutes. Absolutely. I want to just be able to quickly scan and be like, finally, that feature is, mm. is here. Mm. But if you, you know, there are people who probably feel the exact yeah. opposite way. No, I, and if you make them really fun and engaging. Yeah. I, I think a variety of medium is definitely the, the answer here. Um, something, okay. Because every founder, uh-huh. every founder has, you know, nothing on their plate and yeah, obviously <laughs> and, you know adding video release notes and tiktok release notes is near the top of their priority it is. list I, it is for me I, <laughs> <laughs> the tooltip click through you know adventure game is mm-hmm. overrated but what about when you know you log back into a platform and now there's new features that have happened that change the flow of how you do things then are those tooltips useful I still I still pretty firmly believe that you should always teach people how to use your product by having them use your product. Mm-hmm. We had a client who was building a productivity app mm-hmm. and rather than have a tooltip explaining to someone how to archive, we like preloaded the task list with a task that said, "Hey, archive mm-hmm. me." That kind of stuff I think is much more powerful because then your customer clicks the archive. It's learning by doing, right? Mm. Documentation is still helpful, like we just mentioned, if you can keep it up. So having a place that you can point them to to learn more or if things change, like you know, writing a blog post, writing you know, some sort of brief documentation overview, having a Loom video where your product designer kind of explains why you change things, all of those things are great. I think anytime you're interrupting the user's the user's flow, that's also a problem. And yes, that design change probably interrupted their flow a little bit, but personally, I would rather get in and and figure it out myself and have like an easy link to documentation or something. You know, maybe you have a small like toast alert, like one of the little alerts in the bottom that is out of my way, doesn't bother me, but gives me a link to learn more if I'm confused and feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Don't make me click through six things before I can use your product. In any circumstance, I'm sorry. That's not true. All rules are made to be broken. That's true. But yeah. it, it, it's a very limited <laughs> number of circumstances. 
Okay, well, thanks for playing. That's all. That's all the ones I had. Cool. This was fun. Yeah, yeah. You should do. You can do me next time. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. So for everyone listening, yeah, let us know what you thought of this format. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear us dive deep on kind of product and marketing topics on a more regular basis? Are there any topics that you're interested in that you'd like to hear us talk about? We'd love yeah. to know. Or if you prefer the other way, where it's just you know, me and Andrew talking about the price of a Lambo. Um, Let us know. (laughs) Uh, You can follow Andrew if you like the deep expertise and you can follow me if you would like a Lambo. (laughs) (laughs) Links in the show notes and all that jazz. So, all right. All right. Thanks, Sean. This was fun. Absolutely. Thanks for answering. See you later. Bye. Later. Hey there, this is Andrew. In the episode you just listened to, I talked a lot about product analytics and when they're worth investing in. And I threw around some numbers just kind of off the top of my head that may not have made a ton of sense. So there are plenty of series A stage companies, especially in cybersecurity, that get to sort of that level with way fewer than 50 or 100 customers. And really for product analytics, what matters more than the number of customers you have is the number of users and active users. So I think a good time to start investing in product analytics is either you know around that Series A or once you have in the neighborhood of, of 50 to 100 users using your product. That could be way fewer customers. You could have a free tier that means you none of those people are customers. But you know, 50 to 100 users actively using your product on a regular basis um, is probably a good time to start investing in product analytics. Although really, you know, you need hundreds or even thousands to get statistical significance. So you're still going to want to invest in user research, customer interviews, user testing alongside any product analytics strategy. All right. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoyed the episode. You just listened to Small Efforts, a podcast collaboration between Crit and Miscreants, hosted by Sean Sun and Andrew Askins. Sean is a hacker turned designer and the founder of Miscreants, a creative agency building memorable brand and product experiences for cybersecurity ventures. Andrew is an engineer turned CEO and the founder of Crit, a product design agency that helps cybersecurity founders create better products. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can check us out at smalleffortspod.com. Thanks for listening. See you next episode.